Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, we hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company, but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we are passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow. And I'm Dwayne Drawn. Through our 40 years of combined dirt under the nails experience, we look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast. This is your host, Joshua Gillow, alongside my trusty sidekick here, Dwayne Drone. What's going on, Dwayne? What's going on, man? I'm just uh, making it happen day by day. You know, that UPW still drained me. And so I'm noticing, like, I, I think, I think some people come back and they're just like fired up. I, I noticed from number three that I come back and I'm sort of down for three or four days. And then after like the fourth or fifth day, that's when I juice up and just start killing the world. So I'm sort of going through that low right now and I'm about to fire up and just take off and just kill it. But uh, other than that, man, I'm living a dream, uh, enjoying everything. And I'm learning how to feel and become that person of, of what we're doing. Like we're breaking records like crazy. I was going through some numbers last night and we've shattered every record that we've ever put out in business. I mean, it's insane. That's awesome, dude. I love that. And I love that. And yeah, I'm feeling the same way, dude. It's like this emotional hangover after going through four days of, of intense soul digging and, and love and all that good stuff. And, you know, I come back sometimes in the beginning, I was just ramped up, ready to rip the world apart. And other times here now, this is number four for me. It's, um, it's, it's a, it's a reckoning time. It's a time to go through and process what's happened and, and what you're thinking about and to, you know, to put it in perspective and how it's going to impact your life. So, um, I too, as well, have been, you know, kind of more, more laid back this time around coming back into the world, but still ready, jacked, more focused than ever and just loving it. And, you know, super excited and same here, man. I mean, the records are just, you're looking back and you're thinking, holy crap, that used to be something I look forward to. Like this number was something I thought we couldn't get to. And now like, holy crap, we're crushing that like two X that. And it's like, holy moly. I know it's a part of the times, but it's also part of uh, just constant growth inside and, and helping others grow as well is definitely part, part of that. So today, guys, we have a, uh, a special guest on. He grew up in a family landscape construction and nursery business, very similar to um, to myself and Dwayne. And in 1958, they were mowing lawns, and and uh, now they're top 100 powerhouse companies in the nation. Uh, they focus more on an environmentally responsible landscape. So not just your typical paver patios and bushes slapped in around the house, but more about trying to integrate nature into the space so that you're not trying to chase the wildlife out. You're trying to bring it in, right? So you're not looking for deer resistant plants. You're looking for, for plants and things like that, that'll actually attract that, uh, that wildlife into the space. He's been published in tons of different articles, you know, all over the country. Um, he's definitely a pioneer in his industry with this more naturalistic design style. So it's really kind of cool to see what he does and how he takes ideas uh, and creates the most naturalistic uh, solution for it. Uh, his company is uh, Landserve and uh, his slogan is Landscapes for Life. So without any further ado, John uh, Marinani, how are you doing? Pretty good. Yourself? Doing fantastic, sounds, man. Sounds like you're doing very well. Yeah. Trying to, try to get <laughs> yeah, my voice back here. <laughs> Yeah. I don't uh, know if you heard yeah, about it, John, but you ever heard about the Tony Robbins UPW, John? The what? I'm sorry? 
It's called uh, Tony Robbins. It's a, called a UPW, Unleash the Power Within. Uh, I've heard of it, but I don't know much about that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Joshua and I both, uh, we, we've actually done several of them, but we just f- completed one this weekend. And it's just, it's like 12, 14 hour days. It's uh, yelling, screaming, jumping. It's like opening up your soul to the world. So that's why both of us, we can barely talk. And we're, we're sort of zinned out right now because of the experience. Uh-huh. And, and this is actually, I think one of the, I think Josh brought his wife before, but this is actually one of the first time I was actually able to bring my wife too. So it was, it was pretty dope. And we had like 28 other people who came with us. Okay. So now I understand. So I'm the one that has to do all the talking then now. Okay. Yeah, exactly. so that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're hoping for. That's I mean, for you sure. have a lot to tell. You have a lot to okay. tell for sure. Yeah, totally. So understand. John, yeah. What, if you can think back about your childhood and, you know, growing up in, in, the, in this business, what are some of your first memories you have working with your dad and grandfather? What did that look like for you? Uh, hard work. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. hard, sweaty, dirty work. And quite honestly, when, you know, I, uh, I loved being outdoors. I did love that. And I loved, uh, the, I loved the creatures I encountered while I was out there along with the plants. I had, a, I just had a natural interest for that. Uh, but the work was very, very hard and it wasn't anything I was ever interested. I felt in doing, uh, when I grew up, but it's funny, it kind of, uh, gets into your blood. And, um, in fact, I'm, I'm a uh, third generation, in fact, and um, uh, doing uh, this type of work. Uh, so it did get into me, and uh, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing right now, but I'm doing it in a little bit different way uh, than, than the traditional way of dealing, uh, um, of working in the green industry, as you know. Tell us a little bit about that. You say it's not traditional way. What does that mean? Well, uh, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm promoting native plants. Uh, I try to use it in all of my design, uh, but I and I'm doing it uh, for a purpose that I think is a much more altruistic uh, purpose uh, in, in in landscape design. You know, um, uh, right now most of the green industry is um, uh, utilizing uh, non-native plants that quite frankly are creating a lot of problems for our environment. And um, especially, you know, a lot of them are very invasive right now and displacing a lot of our um, our native plants. And it's our native plants that are uh, create the habitat necessary for our wildlife. And it's part of the problem that we're having right now is that our wildlife is disappearing and it's disappearing quite frankly, because that habitat is disappearing as well without the habitat you don't have the wildlife and without our wildlife you know it moves up the food chain from there and and then it affects us eventually in the entire world and 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 so uh the green industry um well you know it has the greatest opportunity to make the um the greatest change by simply using native plants versus non-native plants in their landscapes. And um, I think that uh, that needs to happen right away because um, things are changing very, very quickly and um, uh, not for the better. So uh, I'm trying to do what I can 
to uh, uh, to uh, make this um, make this change. And um, so um, that's that's my mission. And um, and right now, nobody else is doing that. So I'm trying to set an example. You know, John, the last time we hung out, we were we were on the boat all hanging out with a group of guys. And, you know, normally by the end of the evening, normally people get to talking trash about how big their thing is or how many women they're chasing or and how much they can do. And at the end of the evening, you went on for almost like 45 minutes about <laughs> the passion about how you are on native plants. And, and I'll tell you straight up, it was so powerful to me that that's all I could think about on that hour and 45 minute drive home. And when I came back, I hit Joshua up. I said, we got to get John on here because what he's saying, it shook me to my core. It actually put more fear into me than the COVID and what's going on. So do you mind going just a little deeper in and letting everybody hear about how serious this shit is that we're dealing with? Like, this is scary, scary stuff. Yeah, quite frankly, I think uh, if you talk to some other real experts like a Doug Ptolemy, uh, entomologist, people that understand the bottom of the food chain with insects and, and what have you. Um, he would say that, um, um, you know, uh, this uh, problem with the with our uh, wildlife extinction and, and the direction that it's headed uh, makes climate change look like a drop in the bucket. Mm. <laughs> Um, because if we lose our plants and our wildlife, um, you know, it's pretty much that, you know, it's, it's where life begins <laughs> and ends, quite frankly. Um, so uh, we need to do something about that. We need to do it very, very quickly because, uh, you know, we've lost. Oh, gosh, we've lost uh, a third of our species in the last in my lifetime. Uh, that's that's pretty quick. And um, and we've got another third of it on the way towards extinction right now. And, you know, and a simple solution, a very simple solution right now, for example, if everyone went out and planted, uh, eliminated a third of their lawns and put it into into wild native wildflowers uh, or planted three oak trees, we could save it. Something as simple as that, you know, uh, it's, uh, um uh, the majority of the uh, of the land out there is still owned by the uh, by private landowners, and so um, we have an opportunity. The green industry has an opportunity, like no, no one else, to simply start using native plants and to turn this whole thing around. And it would it would it would provide us for cleaner water, better soils. You know, most people if they would start teaching ecology in in the classroom in, in the younger uh, you know in, in first through fourth grade. Uh, first through fifth grade, um, I think it would it would go a long way towards people understanding um, how important um, this you know the earth is and how we need um, plants and animals for ourselves to be able to survive and uh, and and um, and uh, using these native plants are what are going to get us what's really going to get us through all of this. And that that's what's really going to that's what's really going to help change things. You know, I, I talk to architects all the time. They're 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 talking sustainable housing, sustainable this and sustainable building. Well, as soon as you dig a big hole in the ground, you're displacing wildlife. 
Okay, you're doing a lot of damage. When a landscaper comes in and re-landscapes a home, we're doing all kinds, of, we're creating all kinds of environmental impact. Those things have to be thought about before they're done and what's going to be done to repair that damage. So what we're really talking about is not sustainability, it's Re, it's a regenerative process that we have to be thinking about every time we go out there and do something on the land. We have to regenerate what's been lost, and a lot's been lost so far. It's not sustaining a problem that we have right now. It's fixing it every step of the way. And landscaping with native plants is where it all begins. Very simple. Doesn't it mean it's starting from planting a pot? to complete landscaping, okay? And anytime you're doing any kind of planting whatsoever, use native plants. And that can be in very traditional landscape. See, here's the other problem. We've got, we've got ecological services and people trying to do landscapes. They think, okay, it's native plants. We need to design it in a very naturalistic way. Well, you society's not ready for that. We can't take native plants and plant a prairie in front of a, in somebody's front yard. <laughs> the weed manager is going to show up and give you a ticket and you're going to pay a fine and you're going to be tearing it out. OK, so we have to do it in ways that are culturally acceptable as well. OK, that fit the neighborhood. That's what you've got a colonial home there or a Georgian colonial home. Learn your architecture and how to how to design native plants behind a traditional hedge of a type of plant that's a native shrub that can be sheared into a hedge, okay, et cetera, et cetera. Design in very traditional ways and arrange your native plants so that, you know, wildlife's not going to care how it's arranged typically. There's some instances where it will matter, but in general, it's getting those native plants out into the landscape. And uh, I think that's that'll be a, a, a wonderful beginning uh, for now uh, to saving our wildlife and making it for a much better world for everybody. And um, and we'll get we'll, we'll get much much farther along in this problem that we now have with climate change. It's and um, and, and environmental problems in general. Got it. Now, John, do you run into the situation where when you meet with a client and start talking about sustainability and about ecologically minded, you know, spaces and all that, where their mind is like, you know, in the typical majority where I want boxwoods and I want roses and I want that New England look or whatever the hell it might be. Right. And then having yes. to say, nope, you can't have any of that. Here's how we're going to do it. When I'm done, you won't right. even know I was here. Right, because the right. house will look like it was built in the forest a thousand years ago. How 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 have you right. handled that conversation with people? Well, you know, you have to be a businessman too, and you have to know how to market things. You have to know how to sell things. You still have to do all those things too. It's funny, you know, in landscape architecture. If you're a good landscape architect, you have to be not only an artist and an engineer and a scientist. You also have to be a salesman. And there are times when, when, and that goes for a lot of all business, really, anytime you're in a business. Okay. And I landscape their homes in a very traditional manner with native plants. And it's not until I'm finished where I might consider mentioning the word native and what I just did for them. 
and I will wait until they, they, they respond to me that they're very happy with what they have. And I mentioned that I just what I just did for them. And they're even more excited about the fact that now they're going to also have this extra added um, dimension of an interest of beautiful birds and butterflies. And sometimes I won't mention the, the bees and the snakes and all the other things they're going to get along with that as well, that are also going to create this, this wonderful interest in their gardens. Yeah. And, uh, and then it works. I like it for sure. Yeah. I like how you approach that though, because you're not trying to sell it in the beginning. You're not trying to, you know, convince them of anything. You're showing them the design, what it's going to look like. They love the design. It's done. They're like, this is awesome. And in, you know, in addition to that, these are all natives. So you're not impacting the ecological you know, area negatively. It's only a positive. And next thing you know, they feel good inside that it's done. But if you're right, if you would come up to them and say, look, we're only going to do it with native plants, they'd be like, oh, native plants are boring. Nobody wants those things. They're just weeds. Hell, I got those in the, and the neighbors got those in the lot next to me. Why the hell would I pay you to do that? Right. So I like your approach there. I think that's a, it's a wise approach. Now, have you ever worked with more of a hybrid system where you do some of the more traditional stuff and then integrate natives so that you have some of that in there so it's not completely foreign to the environment absolutely yeah. absolutely and people have their favorite plants old-fashioned plants like lilacs and magnolias and, and, and hollyhocks and the things that they remember from grandma's garden and what have you and as long as they're not invasive i'll certainly use them um, it, it makes people happy and you want people out in their gardens and, and there's no problem with that. You know, the only problem with that sort of thing is that it's displacing what would otherwise be a native plant, but yeah. that's about it. Okay. There's no, there's no problem with it. You know, John, what's causing this? And, and I don't want to call out any names. So I'll try to say this without saying manufacturers names, but are we having like manufacturers creating and propagating plants that's just not natural? Is is that some of the issues that we're having? Yes. Um, you can't put your name on a native plant. You can't patent it. You can't trademark it. You can't copyright it. You can't. You can you can you can cultivate it, create a cultivar of that plant. And then you can market it under your name and make royalties from that. That's one thing. OK. And then there's always somebody trying to make I mean, it's an exciting field, you know, horticulture. You know, you can not only put that you can take pride in, in, in creating a better flower, a better this, a better. It's got more color. This, you know, echinacea, uh, 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 purple cone flower. That plant has gone from a true native plant to I can't tell you how many different cultivars now from orange to white to to different shades of purples to, and most, and the problem with that plant is number one, it, you know, it, it, it when it, 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 most of them are sterile and the ones that aren't sterile don't provide the pollens and the nectars necessary for the insects that depend on that particular plant, the native plant, uh, they, they don't provide that for them. Okay. So now they can't use that plant for, for food, they can't uh, uh, lay their egg, they can't eat it, they can't lay their eggs on it or some other problem with that plant. Worse yet, they're attracted to that plant and away from the native plant, okay? So now they starve to death or their, their young starve to death. If they lay their eggs on it, there's all kinds of issues with using what they call nativars, okay? 
And uh, and so I would rather I would rather uh, send uh, I would rather uh, promote a non-native, non-invasive plant than a native R, quite honestly, because otherwise what you're telling people is it's okay to use native R's. Now, the problem is the problem is that uh, the nurseries aren't growing enough natives there, you know, because they feel like. Well, the answer I've heard from growers is that, well, that's what people want are the native R's and the and the non-native plants. That's what they want. No, my feel. Well, that's always that's what they're being sold. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. that's what they're being sold. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I read something that bees themselves, I'm sorry, Joshua, uh, I read something that bees, bees and insects, like you were saying, they won't even, you mean, do anything to these, these basically cultivars, whatever you call them. They won't even propagate with them and we'll use them. And it's like, we're losing the bee population just from these simple plants that are, that are being, you mean, basically made in a lab somewhere. Like, this is crazy. Like they're making plants in a lab. Like, you know, nobody even clients don't even think they see a plant comes out of dirt. They're like, Oh, this thing's natural. They don't think it. Nobody thinks it's a, it's sort of a synthetic plant, you know? Well, they objectify, you know, the landscape architects. I'm a degreed landscape architect. We've always looked at plants as objects to move around in the landscape. And quite honestly, yeah. when I design, I, I take a circle, I, I t- take objects and I move them. It's the best way to design. Okay. I don't even worry about what the plant is. It's a great way to design. Okay. Or the mat- other materials. I don't worry about it. I plug that in after the fact. Okay. It's the best way to design. But plants are more than objects. They're way more than objects, much more important than objects because they are the habitat at the very bottom of the food chain that provides life for everything else, including ourselves eventually, and the soils and clean our waters and do all these other things. Not the non-natives, they don't do that for us. It's our native plants. It took 10,000 years for these, and they have defense, you know, all plants have these, have created these uh, uh, defense mechanisms so that insects won't eat them. They have poisons in yeah. them. So it's specific mm-hmm. in, it's specific insects have then over the last 10,000 years, they've, they've developed these ways to be able to coexist with these plants. Okay. It takes that long. All right. So certain plants like the monarch butterfly with milkweed, milkweed's poisonous to almost every insect, except for a few beetles, bugs, milkweed bug, and the monarch butterfly. No other butterfly can, 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 can eat that leaf and, and have its young on that plant, on that species of, of plant. Okay. Because it'll kill it. But this one loves it. All right. So, but it took 10, you know, it took thousands of years for that to happen. Thousands. This doesn't happen overnight. Now you're bringing these other plants and, you know, they can't do anything with that plant. Yeah. It's like butterfly, butterfly bush. Oh, it's a great pollinator. You know, butterflies are super attracted to that plant. 
you know, and so they bring them in and they sell them that way and they market them that way. The problem with that blend is, sure, they can feed on it, but they can't do anything else with it. They can't lay their eggs on it. They can't. So now they're young, have nowhere to go. And it attracts them like crazy, but it attracts them away from the better plants that they need to lay their eggs on. So it's actually a really bad plant. You know, it's a non-native. That's really amazing. Yeah. Now, now, John, I can I can feel your passion for this subject, and I, I I'm full with you right there, brother, heart to heart. Now, right. where did this passion come from? Where did you start? Where did you realize this was a thing? Like, what drives your passion to be so different and to stand out? Uh, gosh, well, I wasn't that great at sports, so I went out and walked around a lot. I mm-hmm. fished a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, well, my high school team was I was on a starter on our high school team. We did win this state championship. So I guess we weren't too bad, but, uh, <laughs> but I still didn't consider myself very good. Anyway, um, I just, you know, my mom, my whole family, my dad would bring home red squirrels that would fall out of the trees. My mom would bring home a baby rabbit, put a little watch next to it. What was that about? It's the heart, you know, pounding, you know, mom, you know, because she doesn't have a mother. You know, I just, I don't know. I just thought, it, they were, you know, I love little baby bunnies, you know. I mean, they never eat one. Uh, the, um, I just, I don't know. I'm just super attracted to, I, you know what? I think most people have a real connection, are fascinated by wildlife. I think most people mm. are. I think some people have, a, a just have never been able to experience it. You know, I grew up on a hundred acre nursery, you know. City kids don't get that opportunity. That's why you need to get them out into nature. And I think once you do, I mean, when I walked through the woods when I was a kid, I was bored to death. It's when you learn about it, (laughs) you know, when you start to learn about it, boy, it starts to become pretty darn interesting. And you have to really get down there and focus on it. You know, probably the best thing you do is give a kid a microscope or get them a magnifying glass. Yeah, I know he's going to burn a few ants and things with it, but you know, of course, <laughs> of course, right? That's what boys do, but he's still going to learn too. He's going to learn about that yeah. stuff, and he'll never do it again once he does learn about that sort of thing. Uh, and and uh, he's going to get in there real close and 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 have him get his hands dirty, get her hands dirty, and get in there. My daughter is crazy about wild one that's just nuts about uh, uh, wildlife as well. Uh, probably because I took her out there a lot with me, you know, as long as they share that you share that experience with someone, uh, I can guarantee you most kids will, will pick that up and, and really run with it. And, uh, and that's what we have to do. We have to get, yeah, they have, you have to start your kids young, get them out there in nature. And, um, and, uh, and that's, and that's how we're going to save this planet. But boy, I just, you know, I went, when I saw that the monarch butterfly was, was was I don't know if it's endangered. I think you know everything it gets overblown sometimes. I think these things ebb and flow. One year for twenty years, they'll we'll have a lot of them, and then and then they'll decline. And they'll I'm hoping that's mm-hmm. the case. But uh, for something that common to have problems really scares me. That scares me to death because that 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 means we have a problem. That's the way yeah. I relate yeah. to that. Yeah, John, I got a yeah. question about business. And 
Um, and I don't know how much you want to talk about it, but a lot of our listeners, they're going to know you from Mariani Landscape too. I mean, you got that company was like the top 100 in, in the country. And then you switched over to your new operation. Um, I don't really want to know much about the company, but what was some of the tips that you did to help grow it and then take that over to the new operation that you are now? Well, I was always a perfectionist. That's for sure. I mean, I wrote all the procedures. I mean, I taught all the procedures to everybody as well. Uh, and maintenance was actually a big part of what I taught there because, I, you know, how to, how to perform things horticulturally correct. That's something I, I did. And, and that's really what I've kind of brought over to, you know, we started as a maintenance company at Mariani, my dad had a little lawn mowing service, you know, uh, the nursery was my grandfather and the contracting was my grandfather. And my dad had a mowing service, lawn mowing service. My grandfather would feed, would feed my grandfather, uh, my dad, the maintenance. Um, and, um, so I brought that to my business in that, you know, Things need to be neat and orderly, hmm. okay, for the native landscape to take off, I think. I really do. I think that's what's missing. Um, I When I went to school, uh, when I was at U of I, there was a, a professor there by the name of Joan Nassauer, who's somewhat famous for her slogan cues to care and she did studies in the 90s about how native landscapes can only be so wild looking and then it gets to a point where people just can't accept it it's got to look like it's being cared for a fence around it 30 percent of it being lawn you know and and plants somewhat arranged or at least framed out nicely. So there's a cue there that somebody's caring for it. Okay. And uh, it's funny. I didn't learn that from her when I was in school. She went to university of Michigan and did this report in the nineties. I wasn't in school in the nineties. I wasn't in school in the seventies. And, um, but I, but I, picked up on it later, I saw her name and said, wow, this just happens to be right up my alley and I learned a little bit about that from her too. And, um, but anyway, that's that cue to care is what really is going to make this fly. And so I would say probably be the maintenance side of things that I brought to my business, uh, uh, Landserve, Landscapes for Life, that, um, that, uh, uh, really makes the difference, really makes the difference. Yeah. Now, when you shifted from working with a family business to going into your own, what, what was your, your reasoning for, for switching out and, and, you know, starting the next company, your next step, like well, what was your yeah. the catalyst for that? Uh, you know, I was frustrated because one was a luxury business. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, you know, it didn't uh, didn't fulfill my my need for doing something for the, uh, the greater good. You know, that's what I'm you so have to do. In, I think yeah. in life, at least I have to 
I'm not, I don't want, I don't want to end my life knowing I just did, I just made money. Yeah. Just made other people and just, um, uh, sold Ferraris, you know, yep. that's, that, that, that's not very fulfilling in my mind. I sold some yeah, it, nice landscapes, frisky. designed some nice places, yeah. multi-million dollar landscapes, but you know. It's risky too. You know, I I actually had a call yesterday where a client called up and he said, Hey, you know, I have all the contractors, everybody's ready to go. I just need you guys to draw the design. And it would have been an easy way of me collecting some money, uh, charged him whatever, just because he said that I'd have charged him out the ass and made some money. And, and after just, he said that something hit me and I said, you know, we're a transformational business, not a transactional business. So I said, you know, without having the designer involved through the entire project, it's never going to be what I design. Right. So what's going to happen is you're going to pay me a certain amount of money. I'm going to be happy that you paid me, but the value that you're going to get when it comes to building, you're not going to get that. And so honestly, John, I, I feel that because I've actually become that in the past two, three years is, is what you took a risk on and say, let me walk away from this family operation. that's just clocking it, clocking dollars to doing something I really believe in. I mean, there's a spot in heaven for people like us, I believe, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Um, I mean, there's more to it than that as well. I mean, working for a family is not easy. Right. You know? Uh, especially 40 years of that. Um, so th- there's more to it than that, but yeah, uh, you know, it, this is definitely, I feel so good about doing this. Um, it, it's just so important and it's, it's so necessary. And, uh, you know, uh, I'd love, to, I think more people need to do it. I'd love to grow my business. Uh, I'd love to be able to do it for more people. If I, if, I just don't, I, I prefer not to grow this into another big business. That's the thing. I like doing this. My, I like being able to walk out. I have 60 acres of my own land I'm restoring pretty much nice. by myself on top of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm in the middle of a, of a, a pre-European settlement uh, restoration of my own land, which I've been doing for 15 years. So I walk out every single morning with my dog and I pull weeds and prune things and, you know, spray things and do all kinds of things on my own land. Then I go out, which I love. I got a smile on my face every time I pull an invasive species. And then when I come home at night, I do the same darn thing every single day, you know, yeah. which I love. It's great. But I couldn't do that if I had if I had even a single employee, I feel like I, you know, so I, I do this myself. Uh, and I, and I'm able to pay the bills and that's really all I want to do. By the same token, I can go anywhere in the world in design yep. and pull together some contractors to be able to pull the work together. And so it's really a great situation. I, uh, I think I can, um, I can pretty much help anybody do this for themselves and, uh, and build it. And uh, soft and hardscape using all indigenous materials, I, which is, I think just fits the landscape anyway. You know, at like mm-hmm. my place, I use all Wisconsin flagstone. So you're not driving from New York with bluestone. Okay. So we're keeping carbon footprint down. And we're also working with materials that make sense 
that look right, that fit, that are context sensitive, okay? They just work well. They make sense. They, when you look at them, they feel like they should be there, you know? And uh, I, quite frankly, I think architects would be, would do better to do that themselves because I just think it would, you know, that's the way buildings were always made. And that's why when you go to certain, when you go to Wisconsin, what do you expect to see? You know, certain type birch trees, uh, I don't know, log homes and farm, modern, even modern farm building, uh, you know, farm home style, certain styles of architecture. When you go out east, you expect to see Georgian colonials and there's certain reasons why there are brick houses there. You know, they fit the, the, the way people lived and the types of materials that were available. Those materials are still available there. Okay, the weather is still the same there. So the roofs pitch a certain way because of the weather there and all that. So it all makes sense. And quite frankly, it's probably greener because of that, because they dealt with the weather in more logical ways. See, so all that all makes sense. If people would just go back and look at history, they'd probably solve a lot more problems that way. And the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, it was actually all brick at one time, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, because that was like, they were like clay craft. That's they were getting all the brick from, I think Ohio or something. It was real close to yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't drive 200 mile per hour on some fucking bricks right now. You mean? <laughs> <laughs> so it's only on the finish line. You know, you feel that bump and shit when you hit the finish yeah, line. It all makes sense. It makes it unique. You go to Milwaukee, yeah. you see that cream city brick that came out of their own local, you know, uh, yeah. pits, you know, and it, it's unique, yeah. you know, it's really yeah. unique. Anyway, you know, that's just, that all makes sense, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. John, I have those conversations with my clients as well because we always want a good, solid architectural connection to the house. And right. you see so many guys that don't know what they're doing and gals too that are designing. They're just adding new stuff in and nothing makes sense. It looks no. like a bolt on in the back of the house. And you're like, oh my God, like, oh right? shit. All right, well. Hey, stop talking about me. I was one yeah. of them. <laughs> well, I was two in the beginning too, trust me. But this whole concept of- just cover it. That's right. Just cover it with bushes. I love it. Love it. Or vines, right? But, uh, you know, to, to think about the architectural connection to the house and using uh, materials that are true to the home. And then you back that up a little further to your point and think that even, no, only a hundred years ago or less, there was the only option was local options. You didn't have trucking across the continent. Right. You weren't buying containers of, of flagstone from right. China right. and bringing it over here and calling it natural. Like right. there, there's none of that. So you use what you had. If you lived in an area with a lot of limestone or flagstone, that was all you used. The, if you had a hundred acre farm, you built everything from the stone on that farm, from the fence rows, from the fields, because that's what you had. So to go back to the beginning and think, okay, now how do we design this space to do that? You know, and be truthful to the architecture of the home and the materials available at the time. And if that's not the case, how do we at least stay true to the architecture of the house and the materials that have already been chosen for it? So it feels cohesive and, and all inclusive of those materials and not have, you know, for instance, a faux stone in the front and then a brick in the back, which makes no sense. Or, you know, a natural stone in the front. And then you're like, oh, we're just going to use siding on the fireplace in the back. It's just, you know, it's it happens so often and people just don't think about those details. They don't think about, wow, there might actually be a communication between materials on this property, not just inside, outside, but inside, outside and everywhere. Right. Right. And it's not it's crazy because of cost. It's just, you know, just not thinking it through. 
just not it's, it's, they just don't exactly they just don't think through it they think all right well i can just put it together i'm like all right we'll do the stone in the front of the house we'll do you know vinyl siding around the rest of the house okay now I mean, it's as unnatural as you can get but it is what it is okay now we go to the backyard let's just what are we going to do well, let's just do some crazy paver nobody's ever seen. Texturally, it makes no sense with the house. And you look at the shape then, it's just this crazy amoebic shape. You have the squaredness of the house. You have all these 90 degree angles, these sharp lines. And then you go right out in the landscape with all these amoebic you know, contours, which don't make any sense for the translation between the home being very rigid and that and the nature being very non-rigid. There needs to be a convergence zone where we marry the two together. And that's where we get to play, right? As designers, we get to play in that zone, but doing some curve, some straight and blending it into the nature to go all natural again. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. you know, it, it might come, it might come, there might come the day when, um, all of that does come together and we're back to very naturalistic landscape landscapes on top of it, you know, because, uh, the home will make sense with it right yeah. now, Excellent. you know, yeah. that, 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 that's not, hap- that's not going to happen. So, you know, John, I got the perfect question for you right now too, cause it actually lines all this stuff up. You guys have been like, Okay, I, I, let me slow this up a little bit. I come from Columbus, Ohio. We did some landscaping. I really didn't even see dope-ass outdoor living space landscapes until really I met you guys, Dean, and all of them. I didn't even know that stuff existed, especially some of that stuff on the North Shore. Okay, you guys have been seeing these really nice, neat outdoor living spaces, plants, everything for a very long time. I'm working in a market now where I'm actually winning like a mother effort because I'm waking a lot of people up and I'm getting people to respect what's going on in their outdoor living. What can I do more? What can we help do more here to convince people more that what we do and if they let us do it right, it's going to gain value in their property? Because you've been doing it all day long. I mean, you've been doing it for the past 30 years. How can we wake these people up in the Western suburbs? You mean to understand what's going on? To give them more value yeah. in their landscape? Well, form follows function, first of all. I mean, have it work for them. You know, shade trees to give them shade on the right side of the house. I mean, (laughs) landscapes that actually work to frame their home so that it brings the view to their house and away from their neighbors. It shades their home. Uh, First of all, trees, number one, are the best value by far. Shade trees are the best value by far of any other plant. They live the longest. They bring the scale, they, they add scale, okay? Um, they do They do so many, they, they give you shade, they, you know, they frame, they do all the things that no other plant can do, okay? Um, and then it works down from there to your ornamentals and et cetera, et cetera, down to your ground covers being the last and your lawn, okay? Uh, those, those are the things, so that, that's how that works, okay? Um, uh, evergreens try to min- m- m- use as few as possible because they're the most expensive. Okay. And when you do use them, you're going to use them only, uh, where they're needed for screening, really mostly screening, framing, um, hiding things, you know, uh, because they're, they, they cost twice as much as the same size plant in a non um, evergreen uh, plant, you know, flowering shrub or ornamental, what have you, they're twice as much. They cost twice mm-hmm. as much and they do, and they do nothing except give you green. You know, they don't, 
they won't do much beyond that. Now you're limited with evergreens anyway, if you're gonna use native plants, you know, uh, in the Midwest, there are very few native evergreens, um, you know, red cedars and a few of your spreading evergreens, but there are very few. Um, and uh, so think about how you're using them and promote how you're using them for, the, for their good for shade, for screening, for doing all of these things. And that's one way of showing them value. Not just decorating the turkey. <laughs> that's yeah, what I call yeah, it. Yeah. You know, if you look at my that's house, really I don't is. have a, I have one plant on my foundation. The rest of them are big old oaks all around my house. And yeah. then prairie yeah. beyond my real interesting small lawn that winds in and out. You know, and lawns, I think lawns are really important for a lot of reasons, as long as they're not too big. You know, they're, they're safety for your home from fire. They show off your architecture very, very nicely. Uh, you know, they're either for entertaining for the kids to play in. You have to have some lawn. Now, there are ways of dealing with your lawn where they can be a little uh, better environmentally. You can have what are called bee lawns. They have a nice mix of fescues and and uh, clovers and other things. Um, you know, clover used to be part of a grass mix until the Masters became, the Masters golf event mm -hmm. became popular on TV back in the 50s. But before that, it was clover was part of the seed mix because it has nitrogen yeah. in it. And that way you didn't have to, you didn't have to fertilize your lawn. It has, it has a nitrogen <laughs> fixing plant. So anyway, mm, that, that's a, that's a, it's a problem for, uh, for fertilizer companies though. When you can get it naturally, oh, yeah. why the hell would you buy the fertilizer? Oh, sure. So take out the natural nitrogen. Now you are responsible right. for putting in more. Right. So synthetic. Yeah. yeah. It's so crazy. That's one way crazy of, of, of giving value. And of course, you know, which is really interesting the, my clientele, who call me, the clientele that call me, of course, are interested in native plants, right? And mm -hmm. doing, they're, they're interested in, they're also ultra, altruistic minded people who want to do the right thing. Okay. I don't have to sell them on value. Yeah. You know, they're already, they're are, they've already bought in. They just want those native plants and hopefully I can arrange them in an aesthetically pleasing manner. Yeah. It's a totally different type of clientele. Yep, for sure. You know? That that's what's so really John, interesting about my clientele. So it, John, I have a question for you. Yeah. So, okay, I'm a contractor just getting started out or been in business for a long time. And I really love what I'm hearing right now. I love the idea of sustainability. I love the idea of helping the environment. I love the idea of being able to do that and making some money too, right? Being It, it really, it weighs on my heart heavily that I need to do something. How the hell would I get started? What do I do? How do I even integrate that? How do I learn about native plants? How do I know how to design with them? Like, what are some tips you can give us on that? Well, first of all, as far as designing with them goes, you're going to design. Um, you're going to probably, if you're in the residential market, you're going to learn about your architecture and how to design to complement architecture because most of it's around a around a home and people's expectations are that it's going to complement their home and how they use their home. Like I just talked about, you're going to form follows function. You're going to create, you're going to create that design in a way that, that, that gives them value 
in shading and screening and doing all that, all those things and guiding circulation and doing all of those things, uh, you know, allows for pushing snow, all of those things. Okay. And Mm -hmm. that design will evolve. Okay. Complements Mm -hmm. the architecture, all of those things. Okay. And it's going to evolve. If they have a contemporary home or some type of home or a big lot that's that'll accommodate a naturalistic landscape, your best bet, I think, is to go out into nature and to look at little scenes and take pictures of vignettes of scenes that you think are nice compositions. You know, I'll do that. I'll go out into the field. I'll see a stand of aspen at the edge of a prairie or a, usually a farm field these days that was a mm-hmm. prairie. And I'll look at that. And I'll look at that against the woodland or a, 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 back, a, a background of juniper. And it comes down into brambles or hawthorns down into the prairie right there. Okay. That's a natural mm-hmm. transition. I'll repeat somewhere. Okay. Nice. Or you'll see um, a, a stand of sumac or a stand of gray dogwood or a stand of red twig dogwood, and they're a colonizing plant, okay? Mm-hmm. How do you arrange that plant? Well, you take little 18 inches, not the big 36 or 48 inches, start them as 24 inches because they grow two feet a year, no reason to get big ones, and put them close yeah. together so that they, and they're a suckering plant, right? So, you know, they're a stoloniferous uh, rhizomatous, both plant that'll sucker out real quick. You don't want to see them in rows. So you put them close mm-hmm. together, starting as small plants. So they're getting good value. You're not starting with big plants. They grow right away into a nice little colony and you group them together in a colony and you use them that way in a, in a little prairie scene or in the middle of a yard or just whatever, in a way that lo- makes sense in the way that that plant would naturally grow, which by the way, creates a situation that's less maintenance because that's the way they want to grow. See? So arrange things like they want to grow in nature. It'll be less maintenance. They'll make more sense. And uh, when you learn how to use them that way, you'll, you'll tie together a composition that makes sense. It'll just, I love red twig dogwood with aspens too. Now you've got contrast, see? Mm -hmm. Uh, Winterberry holly's great with aspen, with birch, you know? Mm -hmm. Now you still have to know, first of all, see what's available. Go through your nursery catalogs Mm -hmm. and see what's even out there to use or you're wasting your time, all right? See what's there, learn what conditions they like, wet, dry, shade, sun, just like any other plant. You know, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of native plants that we've been using, Coxburg Hawthorn, you know, all your oak, most of quite a few year old, your sugar maples, you know, all uh, not not black alder, but gray alder. OK, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of basswoods. We use a lot of native plants, you know, that, are, that have been available to us forever. People just don't know they're natives. Just find out what's locally native. There's a great book out there called Plants of the Chicago Region. Okay. Which one? Who's the um, um, Swink and Wilhelm? By Swink and Wilhelm, Plants of the Chicago Region. Those are all our native plants. Yeah. That's here. Okay. Now, out east, I'm sure there's a book out there that'll, although a lot of our plants are interchangeable, you know. Yeah. 
And I can see this being an opportunity for listeners to uh, create a market for themselves like you have, right? To be having this conversation with their clients, regardless of how it comes up, but more about guys, look, you know, uh, we can do this. We can just throw in bushes that are, you know, decorative bushes to the turkey, like you mentioned earlier, or we can focus on them actually having an impact on your environment. And I believe as we move forward in the future, we're going to have a lot more awareness of this, you know, with global climate change and with just, uh, we see these species being wiped out left and right. Um, and, and, it's all because of us, right? So how can we lessen our impact on the planet? So if you're having that conversation with your clients and that's what you you stand for because that resonates with you, if it doesn't, that's fine. But if it does and you have the opportunity to open up a whole nother, uh, a whole nother conversation with your clients, which differentiate, differentiates you and also gives you a competitive edge against the others that are just slinging in, you know, name bushes everywhere. And you're coming in saying, look, no, we're going to help with the pollinators. We're going to help with the birds. We're going to be helping with the bunnies, all of this kind of stuff. Uh, and that, that's our, our entire approach is uh, to build the ecology around your property so that nature comes back to you. And that could be a tremendous way, if that's something that lands in your heart, some a tremendous way to, to be able to engage this idea and be able to still do the same thing you're doing, but doing it in a much more conscious way. Would you say so, John? I would say so. And I, and yeah. I do think there people need to learn a, a land ethic. That would help too, okay? It, yeah. If they would just read Aldo Leopold's book, on land ethic, it's called the Sand County, the Sand County Almanac. He's the, it's the one book I would recommend to everybody. I give it away. And in fact, it's, it's, a, it's a good book for people that want to get into this business to give to their clients. It's inexpensive. It's called yeah. Sand County Almanac. And it just, nobody, nobody could ever write a book any better than this man did. Aldo Leopold. Okay. He's the father of modern conservation. Very simple, short read on uh, the land ethic. And it just gets you thinking about, it just gets you thinking about the land and why it's important and, um, and, and, and creatures. And one other thing I would mention too, is that if, when you're trying to sell your landscapes, try to sell the little creatures that go along with it. And I like to I like to talk about the birds and the butterflies because those are the things that most people are interested in. Yeah, Don't talk about the snakes and the toads and the other little especially <laughs> to the ladies. They, they yeah. Uh, of course, I have a buddy of mine that snakes. Oh my God! You bring those up and uh, conversations over. You know. Uh, so because uh, that's that really is uh, people love birds and butterflies. You know. Love that. And show them those too. Hey, this is what with this plant, you're going to attract those, you know, that particular mm -hmm. bird that hasn't been around for 100 for 50 years. You yeah. know, wow. So, John, it was it, it was great hanging with you. And matter of fact, I do have to take you up on the golfing. I mean, you did That's invite right. me. Um, Josh is going to be in town in January for like six weeks in a row. And so we do need to come up to your property and take a look at that. Absolutely. But I also want to end with um, one of the things that we do at the end is, is how can our listeners find you and like, how are they, how can they call you? Is it, are you on Facebook? Or are you on like, where can they track you down? I'm on Facebook, but I'm not that active on Facebook. Um, uh, LinkedIn. And, um, of course I have a website, uh, it's www.johnl, as in Luke, Mariani, M-A, 
R-I-A-N-I.com. You have to throw oh, that L perfect. in there or you'll, you'll get John Mariani, the food critic. Out okay. New York, I, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, John, I've certainly appreciated our conversation today, and I hope it opened up some story loops in your minds out there, listeners, to start thinking about landscape in a different perspective. And that's why we wanted to have John on the show to to open up, you know, that conversation. And if this falls in your heart and you're like, you know what, I really want to make an impact for not just for me, but for my kids and my grandkids and their kids as well. You know, this is this is the direction you need to go. This is where the world's going. And this is we need to go from being super smart to realizing that we're idiots and we need to go back to what nature originally gave us and be much more focused on working with mother nature, not against her. So John is an excellent example of that and a pioneer in this, in this industry. So reach out to him uh, if you have questions about this, uh, you know, this type of a strategy. And also, uh, yep, thanks for listening, guys. And uh, as you know, we're, our, our goal is to impact and empower 2 million, you know, contractors in our market and other markets as well, you know, design build contractors. And so if you know of anybody that would get value from, you know, listening to content that we have here in the podcast, please share it with, even if it's just one person, you know, because that's going to help us grow our, our connection with people and also be able to, to have a bigger conversation as we move forward and change this industry that we all love. So thanks for tuning in guys. And uh, we'll look forward to speaking to you next time. Mm-hmm.